Travel bags with Anita and friends. Now, Olivia, I think we should stay in South Carolina because I have a just got back that I'd love to share with everyone. Where I had a chance to go to Greenwood, South Carolina, and visit the Historic Preservation Center for Dr. Benjamin E. Mays. Awesome. And after you get your grub on at Gentry's, you got to go check out the Mays home because he's a figure that is really important in U.S. history, but people may not know much about him. I agree with you. People may not know much about him. I mean, he spent many years at Morehouse College as a president there. And while he was there, a very, very historic person went through uh, the college, getting his uh, college degree, and that is Dr. Martin Luther King. And he was his mentor, so very influential in not only education, but just leadership. He was uh, an advisor and a counsel to several presidents. And just all the things that he did in education are just so important. Yes, and I think even uh, Dr. King referred to him as a spiritual mentor and an intellectual father. So very important figure in his life and eventually, you know, the rest of the country. Exactly. And when you go to the museum there to visit, you get a chance to see his childhood home where he was born. Now, this is a replica. They have, you know, refurbished it and brought it back. Uh, So you get a chance to get a sense of how he grew up, uh, how his siblings, how they all grew up in the home. Uh, Then there's also a museum that is a replica of the school that he would have attended. Because during that time, you just didn't find a lot of of African-Americans that were educated. And he was very educated. As a matter of fact, he kind of went against what his father wanted. His father wanted him to focus on farming and focus on what the family was involved with, which was sharecropping. But he just saw himself as as becoming a person who was very learned. And he wanted to read books and learn how to read. He and his sister both were, were quite educated. And he went on to uh, influence a lot of the desegregation in Atlanta public schools. He did. He really did. So I had a chance to talk with uh, Christopher Thomas, who is the director of the museum in Greenwood, South Carolina. And he shares the influence that Dr. Mays had on education. He also talks about the history of the house, which now houses the actual museum, and his years growing up with his family and their influence, and of course, uh, their work that they did as sharecroppers. Um, what we have here is we have the birth home of Dr. Benjamin Mays. Um, we also have the Burn Spring School, which was uh, identical to the Brick House School that Dr. Mays attended from age 5 until age 15. And then we have uh, what looks like a barn, but it's actually our museum that has uh, over 200 pictures and, and memorabilia. It has his Ph.D. robe and a lot of things that sort of chronicle the life of Dr. Mays. Dr. Mays was born right here in Greenwood County, uh, August 1st, 1894. He went on to be uh, a Ph.D. at um, University of Chicago and was the longtime famed president of Morehouse College and was the mentor to Dr. King. And he was an advisor to three presidents, um, four if we... Uh, uh, include Eisenhower, but certainly he, he was a uh, advisor to three presidents for sure. Um, he says in a video that we might watch at the end of the tour that um, him and all his brothers and sisters were born right here in this home as far as he can remember. Uh, this was a more than 20-year campaign of concerned citizens around here to preserve the life of Dr. Mays when he was here uh, in the early 1980s for the dedication of the Mays Crossroads. He had mentioned at that time that he had hoped someone would save his home, and so it, it came here in 2004, and we uh, opened up as a site in 2011. And The home was originally about 14 miles southeast of here on 178, uh, which now the section of 178 where the home used to sit is now called Mays Crossroads, Um, but it was about 14 miles southeast of here uh, in in a town that that, that our community is called the Phoenix Community. 
But Dr. Mays, like I said, he was born in relative poverty. His parents were ex-slaves and sharecroppers, uh, and they were born, uh, or he was born right here in this home. Uh, his parents had been longtime slaves, as far as we know, there in what was at that time Old Edgefield County, South Carolina. And so it became, you know, Greenwood did not become a county until 1897. But we've tried to replicate the house based upon descriptions that Dr. Mays gave in his 1971 autobiography, Born to, Re to Rebel. And he talks about it in there, one of the things he said that his parents were both not literate. And so there weren't many books in his home other than the Bible. His mother was a very saintly lady. And um, she, he talked about though, there were these pictures of great prominent African Americans that were on the wall because salesmen will often come around and sell those photographs, I mean those pictures of African Americans. Um, he also talked about Abraham Lincoln, of course, being very prominent. Although he only lived here probably until he was about four or five. Uh, and then he moved to a location about two and a half miles from where this home sat uh, when he was attending the Brickhouse School. You know, he rose up from relative poverty and to really achieve greatness in his life. And, you know, this house is really indicative of um, that one thing that he said is that your um, circumstances don't define you, that you're defined by the uh, quality of your heart and, and, and the character in your character. And so um, you really see that in, in, you know, his rough beginnings. I get young people that come in here all the time, you know, and can't believe that, that you know, someone lived in this home. Uh, and, and in fact, he lived in this home with he himself and his eight brothers and sisters, uh, well, seven of them, and you know, eight including him, of which he was the youngest. And so, um, again, most of what you see in here, all these things are things that were donated to us by concerned citizens. This dress is actually probably the oldest piece we have in here. It was donated. It actually predates the Civil War. Um, so this dress goes back a long time, as well as most of these quilts. Um, these quilts are donated to us by a, a um, Citizen of, of, of the Phoenix Epworth community from where this house originally sat, many of these quilts date back to the turn of the 19th century. Um, a lot of them are, you know, they're certainly antiques and, and probably some of our most prized possessions. And, um, I do know that myself, um, you know, my, my family has a connection to us. My family's from the same Epworth community. Uh, and in fact, we have a relation connection to Mays, but my great-grandfather's oldest brother, Jim, uh, lived in this home and, and had many of his children in the same house after the Mays family had left here. His family probably left here um, shortly after the Phoenix riots, around you know the 1898, 1899. Uh, my family moved in here probably four or five years later. This is the part of the house that most young people, the kids that come here, like. Um, they're always astonished at the wood burning stove and the the ice box and the pie safe. And, but most of these things are possessions that would have. Um, not been around at Dr. May's time of his birth, but shortly thereafter. Um, and so people that are a little older can oftentimes identify with things like wood burning stove. I'm only 50, and I remember my uh, great aunt and, and great aunts cooking in those. Um, I also remember an icebox, although again, like I'm only 50, but when I was a young person, my grandparents would had one of these in the barn, and they would put ice in there and put sodas and stuff in there for us. Even Dr. Mays in his young life grew up on the farm himself, working in a sharecropping relationship. And as we know, you know, sharecroppers weren't much different than slaves, to be quite honest. You know, although slavery freed them legally, um, sharecropping was really a form of economic servitude. That because you know African Americans didn't own land, um, uh, you know, promised land was one of the first, almost wholly owned land holdings for African Americans in the South, and particularly in South Carolina. And you know, the majority of African of landowners were there um, were African-Americans. They began to buy those lands and it became sort of, the, as its name, promised land, you know, the promise and hope of African-Americans coming up out of slavery. But certainly the Mays family were not fit property owners. His father was a sharecropper. And the, the tragedy of sharecropping is that the landowner controlled every aspect of, of the, the, the leasee's life. Um, you typically couldn't buy merchandise yourself. You had to buy it from the landowner. So he'd sell you sugar and he'd pay a dollar for it and charge you three. He'd, you know, and so at the end of the year, um, you literally 
were indebted to him. Mm. And so your crop almost never would raise enough money to pay him off. And he'd say, okay, well, fine, we'll, we'll just roll it over the next year. And they just found themselves in a cycle of debt that they could never move because he could say, you know, you're free to go, but you pay my $200 and you can go. And you can go. And of course, you know, the African Americans just, even as a community, probably didn't have the kind of money sitting around um, that would have, you know, taken care of their debt. But, um, so his, his family, his mother and father, both lived in a sharecropping environment. Uh, and that's why we, we could go outside here, you know, keep the living history here. Um, because in, in, in addition to the house and the school and the museum, we want to replicate sort of what Dr. Mays' life would have been like. Um, and Dr. Mays said in his autobiography that he was not ashamed of the farm and he wasn't ashamed of working on the farm. And he was, in fact, he said that he was proud of the fact that he was a good farmhand. And we sort of document a story here that he and his brother Hezekiah had a competition one time when they were very young to see who could pick the most cotton off of the free picking row and the row they were assigned to. And they picked all day and they sort of went against each other all day. And he said his autobiography at the end, his, his, he said father weighed his brothers and it was 424 pounds and weighed mine was 425. And so um, obviously they were very, very good field hands. If you're picking you know, more than 400 pounds of cotton a day as a teenager, um, you're pretty proficient at, at what you do. And so we've tried to keep tools here that would be consistent with what life would have been like. Most of these tools would date back somewhere around the turn of the century. I mean, this stuff is old. Very fascinating information. And I have more to share with my conversation with uh, Christopher Thomas when we come back after the break. And the show today is brought to you by the Sapelo Island Birdhouses down in beautiful Sapelo Island, Georgia. We'll be back in a few minutes on Travel Bags with Anita and Friends. Kisses sweeter than Tupelo, honey. Little bit crazy like New Orleans. Memphis. Southern girl 